Well, this morning we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And as you're turning there, I just kind of want to own that this is odd. This situation, this is weird. I mean, is this a tryout? Is this, is this a normal sermon? Is this some sort of ceremony where I'm trying to get a rose from you, or maybe you're trying to get a rose from me? It's weird, right? It's kind of uncomfortable. You know, I like that because life can be uncomfortable. One of the things that Mark's account is going to show us is Jesus purposely putting people into awkward, uncomfortable situations so they will see who Jesus clearly is. And so with that, let's go now to God's Word. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and asked, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to them, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, kumi which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, this is God's word. Let's go together to him in prayer. Gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in speech that we might know you. We might know your son and know the beauty of your gospel. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, you would open this text up to us. Show us more of Jesus, we ask today. Amen. 
So one of the things I like to do is I like to kind of sum up every text into a one-sentence theme. And so today's theme is going to be this from Mark. Jesus often makes us uncomfortable, so we will grasp the rescue that he offers. So today, as we just read, we're looking at a couple of miracles from Jesus' ministry. Usually these things are told as two separate events, but as you can see, Mark intertwines them, and we're going to see that they actually go together. So we're at this place called Capernaum. In case you're not up on your ancient Near Eastern Google Maps, let me help you. This has a synagogue, and it's a place where a lot of the events of Jesus' life takes place in this town at this synagogue. He healed a man of a demon here. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed of a fever here. In Luke's gospel, we're told a Roman centurion actually built it, and Jesus healed a servant of his. And now, today, this guy, Jairus, would have known all about all of that stuff. Why? Because he is what my grandfather would call a muckety-muck in the community. He is, imagine taking a city councilman and a church elder and combining that into one person in a culture that had no separation of church and state. That's this guy. He is important. He has status. Today, we would say he has privilege. And what does this important, privileged religious leader do? Verse 22, he falls down at Jesus' It's an act of desperation and urgency. Nobody had ever seen this dignified leader do this. He's begging an unofficial prophet to come and heal his little girl. Now remember, for most of the time, for most of the part, religious leaders did not like Jesus. They had traditions, they had buildings, they had religious practice, and we can assume that Jairus had done everything that system had said to do. And when he really needs it, his religious system offers him no help. So he flees to Jesus, urgently begging him for help. You know, I became a Christian as a teenager, and I didn't really grasp the gospel. My Christianity was very, very shallow. And, and as I grew, especially as I left my home church and went off to college, the Lord started just kind of pressing into me the reality of my sin and how much I needed the forgiveness of Jesus. It got so bad that Nikki and my college roommate, she was my girlfriend at the time, not my wife, they knew each other. And I remember my roommate was like, oh, Nikki, Sean bought another book on sin. What are we going to do? Because the gospel that I had been given wasn't big enough to take the sin that God was revealing to me. It just made me tired. The message that I had to try harder, the message that I, the cleaner I lived, the more God liked me, all that stuff just exhausted me. Because that's not the gospel. The only thing that can handle the weight of our guilt before a heavenly God is to flee to the real Jesus offered in the gospel, the Jesus Christ who lived the life we should have lived before a holy God, who died the death we should have died before a just God, and who was raised to give us life before a merciful God. That Jesus. And I'm telling you that because that is not what Jairus is doing. He is not coming to Jesus as Lord. He is coming to Jesus, the healer. He's coming to Jesus, the popular prophet, the miracle worker. He's saying, hey, I'm a big dog in the community. Maybe if I throw Jesus a bone, he'll come with me. I can give him some status. He's like, yeah, you know, hey, Jesus, I got an opportunity for a big PR event. And Jesus is going to be like, well, hey, this sounds like a job for me. So everybody, just follow me. But Jesus is not after PR. He's after people. So it doesn't quite go the way Jairus thinks it's going to go. Because Jairus knows about Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus, and Jesus wants to change that. And so, how beautiful is this? 
Jesus looks at this man who comes to him with the wrong motives, with the wrong ideas, and he goes. He's still sympathetic and supportive. You know, coming to Jesus just because you need help, even if you don't yet believe all this churchy stuff, that is okay. That is enough for God to work with. And in this case, this religious leader humbles himself. He comes to Jesus for help, and Jesus goes with him. But there's a problem. The crowd is so glad that Jesus is back in town. In verse 24, they throng about him. There were so many people pressing around, the text says. Literally, it's the word for choking or suffocating him. Okay, They are not social distancing at all. It's hard to move fast, right? And Jairus is kind of urgently trying to get him through the crowd, and this urgency quickly turns into frustration in verse 25 because there's this woman. In this small town, he would have known her. Let's call her the bleeder. And this illness had ruined her life. You see, in the religious practices of the day, in the traditions of the synagogue, she is like COVID-19 positive, okay? Traditional religion isolated this woman from the community and from God. She cannot go to the synagogue because her bleeding makes her ceremonially unclean. She cannot be touched by anybody. She's ceremonially unclean. She cannot go into anybody's house. She's ceremonially unclean. No one can come into her house. She's ceremonially unclean. I mean, we've been doing social isolation like this for three months. She'd been living it for a decade. It was a segregation system, and she was on the losing side. Even her being in this crowd would be dangerous. She would make everybody jostling up against her unclean. She was supposed to self-quarantine. And just like, for some reason, it's now acceptable to like, shame people who aren't wearing a mask in the right place, it would be acceptable at this point, not overstating it, to lynch her. But her need and her desperation are so great. She didn't care. The religious leader humbled himself. This woman is already humbled and humiliated, and she risks her life to get to Jesus. See, this woman is at the end of her rope, and she risked it all just for a touch of Jesus. You know, at the end of your rope, you can reach out to Jesus too. So this woman manages just to touch the fringe of his garment, and immediately she's healed. Jesus stops and asks, who touched me? I love how his disciples pipe up. Jesus, people are all around you. What do you mean who touched you? Who hasn't touched you, man? You know, boys and girls, there's this person in my house that I hate. Yeah, that's right. I said it. His name is not me. And with five children, he is everywhere in my house. No matter what happens in my house, this guy does it. Who moved the TV controller? Not me. Somebody go find him and get it back. Does not me live in your house, boys and girls? Do you guys like not me? I bet your mom and dad don't like not me that much. I don't like not me. And guess what? Jesus gets a taste of not me right here. He stops in the story and looks around. Who touched me? And all he gets is not me? Not me? I didn't do it. I didn't do nothing. See, in Mark, in, in verse 30, don't miss this. Tells us that Jesus perceived that power had gone out of him. What's that all about? Did, did Jesus feel some sort of loss? Some sort of emptying of himself in this instance? In fact, the phrase in Greek, has gone out, is used for giving birth. I haven't done it. seen it five times. Clearly something significant is leaving him, right? See, there's a hint here. Jesus heals, but it costs him. It points us, doesn't it, to the significance of the cross. 
that in healing us from death itself cost Jesus everything. To rescue his family, Jesus had to die. And we get an appetizer of that coming feast right here in this story. So back to Jairus. You know he's got to be beyond frustrated right now. Jesus, who cares about who touched you? Who cares about this woman? My baby girl is dying. Come on. But Jesus presses the point. He stops. Who touched me? I must know. The woman is identified. Jairus would have known her. One of his responsibilities as a synagogue leader would be to make sure she never enters the building and makes it unclean. He knew her. And can't you just hear him? Her? She's unclean. She's not important. Come back and talk to her. My girl is dying. How many times have we devalued someone because taking the time just didn't fit into our priorities? Don't you love how Jesus is not like that? He takes the time. Or even worse, we treat someone as dirty or unwelcome because we're just too busy or this is not important to me right now. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of that treatment. I'm so sorry. See, but that's not Jesus. Jesus takes the time for this woman. Why? Because when God's image is violated, God is bothered. In all the unrest our country has been going through and continues to go through, how powerful of a message is it if the church can point to Jesus here and shout, people made in the image of God deserve dignity and respect. Because Jesus is all about her dignity right here. By making her identify herself, he restores her publicly to the community. This thronging crowd is now staring at her, and they all know she has been healed. He has publicly restored her. We think three months has been long. Like I said, she's been doing this. This is the first time in 12 years she can go to worship. She can have people over. She can get a hug. No more social distancing for her. And even more, I love how in verse 33, she comes before him and the text says she confesses the whole truth. See, like Jairus, she did not reach out to Jesus, the incarnate Son of God who died for my sins. No. She reached out in naked hope to touch Jesus, the miracle worker, the one she'd heard so much about. Maybe he can help me. It was misinformed desperation. See how gracious God is. Even misinformed desperation, he heals her. See, that's what it means to become a Christian. To come to Jesus in desperation and to confess the whole truth. My life is not working. I need help. My wallet is full. My heart is empty. Help me. And God doesn't then administer a theology test before he helps God helps those who like this woman and this man come in naked hope. That's how it starts for this woman. But when Jesus heals her body and then he restores her to the community, he also brings her into his family. Now, you may think I'm reaching, but this is actually in the text. Verse 34 points at it. Jesus looks at her and in verse 34, he calls her daughter. This is the only time in the record of Jesus' ministry he does this. It is not as a man in his early 30s he calls this woman daughter. Even in their patriarchal culture, that would have been taboo. It would have been insulting. Now, this is one of those moments like the transfiguration. This is like a relational transfiguration where Jesus Christ pulls back the veil and the second person of the Trinity, the eternal son who created her, calls her daughter, confirming her dignity, validating her faith. 
because Jairus isn't the only dad in this story concerning his daughter get healed. Jesus pulls him back and says, my little girl will be healed too. God himself publicly confirms that this isolated, lonely woman is his little girl. And he wants her healed even more than Jairus wants his. Is that your picture of God? This kind, caring father who wants to restore you, who longs to restore you? Because that's who Jesus shows us God is. And at this point, Jairus isn't thinking any of that. You put yourself in his shoes. What would you do? Can't you see him grabbing Jesus' arm, trying to get him to move through the crowd? My daughter's dying. Let's go. And then in verse 35, his worst nightmare happens. As Jesus is talking to the woman, the crowd parts and Jairus sees his servant coming. He knows by the look in the servant's eye, the expression on his face, it's too late. Jesus dawdled with this unclean nobody, and now my daughter's dead. Do not let the outcome of this story cause you to miss the impact here. This is not a parable. This happened. This man did lose his daughter. She died. And part of him did in that moment as well. You ever felt like God's timing has let you down? That if he just moved a bit faster, this would not have happened. Jairus can relate. See, Jairus didn't know the ending. He's living it. All he knew is that this Jesus clown may have been able to help, but he wasted so much time with this unclean woman, now my daughter's dead. I mean, it's a legitimate question for us to ask. Okay, what's going on here? Did Jesus value the woman more than he valued the little girl? What is this? Jesus wanted to restore this woman, but Jesus also wanted to rescue Jairus. See, Jairus, the religious leader, came to Jesus for his daughter, not for himself. He had it all together himself. He was a professional religious person. He was known in the community. He didn't need Jesus. Jairus is just as estranged from God as he assumes this unclean woman is. Jairus assumes that he was in with God because of who he was, because of his religious privilege, we would say in our vernacular today. See, Jairus was concerned for his little girl, but Jesus was concerned for Jairus. Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this may surprise you. When you read the accounts of Jesus' life, he's not polite. When I came to Jesus as a sarcastic, rebellious teenager, and now that I'm a sarcastic, rebellious, middle-aged, um, I love that Jesus is not a tool. He's confrontational. He's provocative. And this story is an example. Jesus thrust a situation upon people they don't want in order to get them where they really need to be. In other words, Jesus wants people shook when they encounter him. Now, if you're not familiar with the events of Jesus' life, let me help you. By this point in the gospel accounts, his disciples have endured a fierce, life-threatening storm to be shook by Jesus' power over nature. This guy full of demons was forced to stay behind so his community would be shook by Jesus' power over darkness. The woman was forced to identify herself to be shook by Jesus' power over sickness. And Jairus is forced to taste his daughter's death to be shook by Jesus' power over death. Has God ever brought something or someone into your life that just won't let you be comfortable or apathetic 
But because of this person or this situation, you've grown? Man, he's done that to me. I've been shook. Maybe you're still experiencing that thing that makes you uncomfortable, that frustrates you. You know, this is the flip side of Romans 8, 28. We love, if you've been in church more than 17 seconds, someone, and you have a problem in your life, someone has quoted Romans 8, 28, right? God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Amen, absolutely. But you know, sometimes the all things are uncomfortable and frustrating. And in a culture like ours, which values comfort, personal discomfort, being shook is not appreciated. Thank you very much. See, but Jesus is after Jairus, so he's bringing the discomfort. Jesus looks him in the eye, interrupts the servant in verse 36, and basically says, stay with me, brother, don't quit. And what follows in verse 37 and 38 is a huge, dramatic moment in the text, which an original reader would get and we miss because we don't know the culture behind it. And it, this moment takes place in Jairus' heart. Will he believe? Will he reach out in naked hope just like this woman did? See, Jesus has forced Jairus to see who touched Jesus. Jairus now knows that unclean woman has touched Jesus. She didn't socially distance, and now Jesus is infected. Jairus now knows Jesus is ceremonially unclean. He has touched a woman with a protrusion of blood. Now, in order for Jesus to heal Jairus' little girl, it has to cost Jairus something. Jairus is now shook. See, before, having the popular prophet come to his house couldn't hurt. Why not? It's a desperate grasp. He didn't have to believe in Jesus. He just had to know about Jesus. Sure, let's try that. Now, will he let this publicly unclean man come into his house? That would make Jairus ceremonially unclean make his home unclean, make his family unclean, make his servants unclean. I mean, forget being shamed on social media for not wearing a mask. It will take a lot of work, a lot of expensive rituals, and a lot of time to make his life ceremonially clean again. His daughter's dead. Why bother? See, at this point, Jesus, the popular healer, has nothing to offer Jairus. Jesus has created an uncomfortable situation. Will Jairus believe he's more than a healer? Again, if you're not familiar with Jesus, don't miss this. As a religious leader, Jairus would have picked up on Jesus calling the woman daughter. Jesus claimed God's authority in that moment. Does Jairus believe him? Do you believe that Jesus has the authority of God? Because Jesus claimed he did. Now, you may not believe Jesus when he says that, but you cannot, with intellectual honesty, say Jesus never claimed to have a unique connection with God. He does it right here in, and in many other places. And verse 38 shows Jairus' answer. What does he do? Jairus takes Jesus into his home, not as a prophet, but as someone with a unique connection to God. So Jesus and his three executive VPs go to the house together and there's wailing and there's beating of breast because she's really dead. And Jesus grabs this little girl by the hand and he commands her to get up. And she dies. I mean, Jesus Christ reached into death and he pulled this little girl out. See, Jairus has been taken from urgency to frustration to desperate hope, and now in verse 42 and 43, he's in amazement. This comfortable religious leader doesn't have categories for this. 
His daughter's back from the grave. He's looking into the face of a man his religious system cannot explain. And here's what I mean. That synagogue system said Jesus is unclean. His filth separates him from God until he cleans himself up. And yet in his filth, Jesus obviously has the power of God. What is going on here? Jairus has no categories except to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. See, it is at this point in Mark's gospel that we have to ask, who is this who can raise the dead? If Mark has done his job, he wants the reader shook at this point. Because his answer is, Jesus Christ is the unique Son of God who is full of grace and compassion for sinners like me. Those of you who know Jesus, when is the last time you were amazed by Jesus? It's so easy, isn't it, to be so familiar with the stories and so comfortable that we stop like, Jesus raised a little girl from the dead in his grace. He's so compassionate. It's amazing. When's the last time you were just overwhelmed at the compassionate love of God for you? See it again in this story and let it drive you to praise. And for those of you who do not know Jesus, see him here bringing an upright religious man to see that his status, his personal morality, his religious privilege cannot give him access to God. And see, too, that you cannot get access to God by changing your behavior, by cleaning up your act. You can't manipulate God with some sort of system. All you can do is, like this woman and like Jairus, is reach out in desperation for grace, and you will get it. Forget everything you think you know about religion or church, and simply place your faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord. He will embrace you. He will forgive you. He will make you part of his family. Don't you want that? Then don't wait. Do it now. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the reminder of just how gracious and powerful you are. Lord, we pray that you would once again sear into our hearts the reality of how amazing your grace is, Lord, and how kind you are. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking you're aloof and mean and angry. And once again, Lord, remind us by your Spirit in this text that you are kind, compassionate, and embracing. Lord, would you help us to embrace Jesus yet again as he's offered in the gospel. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.